You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. We're in a series called Everything You Need, and so often we question, do I have everything that I need to make it through life? Do I have everything I need to raise my kids? Do I have everything I need to become a godly person or a godly parent or a godly student? Do I have everything that I need? And we wonder about that, and sometimes we question that. And one of the neat things about what Peter writes before he dies is he's reassuring you and me that God, by his divine power, has given us everything that we need. Now, we cooperate with that, we grow with that, but we have everything that we need. And I want to reassure you of that because there's a very real enemy who this morning wants to make you question whether you have everything that you need. He wants to make you think, well, maybe some other people have everything they need, but I don't know about me. And, And we begin to believe some things that might not be true. We begin to believe some things that are counterfeit. And we're going to address that a little bit today as we look at God's word. I want to remind you that uh, if you're an FBI agent, uh, one of the things you have to do as an FBI agent is identify what is counterfeit currency. And the way that they train FBI agents to discern what is real currency versus counterfeit currency is that they never, ever look at counterfeit currency. They always take out the bill, the real deal, And they study this thing. They look at every little nuance. They know every little blot of ink. They know every watermark and detail and ribbon down the middle. They know everything about the real deal. Because if they know the real deal so well, then if they see something that's not the real deal, they instantly identify it as counterfeit. Counterfeits will always change, but if they know and understand and are able to identify and study the real deal, they know when a counterfeit makes its appearance. And there are times that for you and I, if you don't study the Bible, if you don't read God's word, if you just float here and there, then you're not sure when you're going to hear a counterfeit teaching. You're not sure when you're going to hear something that's counterfeit or you're going to begin to believe something on the inside of your heart that isn't exactly accurate. And many of you know what that's like because you and I, we've gone through life long enough to have been deceived. Have you ever been deceived? You ever been deceived by somebody? You ever been duped? You ever been like had the wool pulled over your eye? You ever found somebody who looked like a wolf in sheep's clothing? You thought they were great, but then it turns out that they were, they had their own agenda and it was not in your favor. We've all been duped by somebody, right? I mean, it's like when you're playing Fortnite and you get killed by a character who's wearing the default skin. They're really an advanced character, but they look like they're wearing just the beginner skin, like they just showed up on the game like, hey, I'm a first-time login. I don't know what I'm doing. And it might look something like this. Watch the video screen with me, if you will. That you've got this guy in the default skin, but he comes here, one shot, just takes out that guy, right? Goes around the corner, snipes another one, you know, oh, no, but he's got to, he, he winged him. Now he gets him. Two kills, right like that, okay? This guy was wearing the default skin. If you just saw that guy, you'd be like, oh, easy kill, because he's not customizing anything. Now, some of you in this room, you're not gamers, and so you're like, what was that? I I don't even understand. Um, If that just means you're over 28 years old, okay? So for those of you under 28 years old, you know exactly what we're talking about, but some of you in the room, you're like, I'm not a gamer, but mm mm-hmm, I dated that kind of guy. I dated that kind of girl. They looked good at first, but then they just pulled the wool over my eyes when infatuation was happening and everything looked so great and it seemed like they could do nothing wrong. 
and I just got swept up and carried away. Well, there are times for you and for me, we like sheep begin to follow, and we begin to follow teachings, and we begin to follow people, and, and what we're told to do in Scripture time and again is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of the faith. And sometimes we take our eyes off Jesus and we put them on somebody or some idea or some false teaching. And we take that idea and we begin to stick it like in our backpack. We're like, you know, I think that's a good addition. So I want to follow that person's teaching. We stick it in our backpack. Or I want to follow that idea. And we stick it in our backpack. And what happens after time is we begin carrying around with us some things that, that really we don't need. Some false teachings, some false ideas, and we're carrying them in our backpack, but then persecution comes along. Things don't go nicely. Bad things happen. And we begin to realize in those moments that and when those bad things happen, that what's on the inside begins to come out. Because for a while it seems hidden. It's like, it's like if you had an orange in your backpack. And you've got this orange in your backpack. If, you, if I came along and stabbed it a bunch with a little knife, right, and I began to squeeze that orange what's on the inside would begin to drip out, right? But it doesn't drip out necessarily until it is squeezed. And it's in that moment that you, what's on the inside begins to come out. Here, Bill, that one's for you. There you go. He's a baseball player. Nice catch. He dropped everything else to catch the orange. Well done. Well done. In 2 Peter, he begins to deal not so much with the public battle, how to face persecution on a public front, but he begins to deal with the private battle, the real, I think, battle, the inner doubts and fears and insecurities that lurk within a Christian and threaten to derail his or her life. Peter will convince you and me that we have everything we need to live a godly life. Will you turn in your Bible with me to 2 Peter chapter 2? Whether it's on your digital Bible or your paper Bible, 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start by just reading the verse that is the theme verse. You can say seated, but will you read this out loud with me? It's on the screen. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. This is the theme verse of the book. And I want you to know that Peter has already argued that because of God's divine power, he's given you everything you need to live a godly life. Second, you have everything you need to trust the reliability of the Bible. And third, you have everything that you need to identify a fake, a false teacher. See, in Peter's days, he's just argued about the reliability of the Bible. There were true prophets who, as they were carried along by God's Holy Spirit, wrote down the scriptures but there will come along in every age false teachers. And Peter is now instructing these people while they're facing persecution that out of them some false teachers are going to arise and those false teachers have some telltale signs. And so he begins with this. I'm going to read the chapter. It'll be on the screen, but follow the thoughts, follow the progression before we unpack it. First Peter, or Second Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Peter says, but there were also... False prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign who? Lord. Sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated what? 
stories. They'll have all sorts of fabricated stories that they do. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them. Their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient people when he brought a flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, and the next verse in your Bible is in parentheses, which means it's not in the earliest and most reliable manuscripts, but they put it in parentheses because it's largely probably an aside, a scribal note that's there, and it says this, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Uh, That may be conjecture, your honor. We're not sure. That's why they put it in parentheses, so you know it's not in the earliest and most reliable manuscripts. Verse 9, and if this is so, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, though they're stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment uh, on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They're like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and accursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, the son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. And these people are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved For them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. And if they've escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and again are entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. And it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Okay, Peter's just given us a shotgun amount, a full fire hose amount of content, and we're going to unpack this a little bit. Take your outline out. Let's look at this together. Number one in your outline, the Old Testament people had to deal with false prophets. In our time, there will be false teachers influencing the church. False teachers influencing the church. They'll look like the church. They'll come from a church. They'll act like the church at first. And Peter said this, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. 
What are heresies? Heresies are teachings that contradict the claims of Christ, the deity and placement of Christ. And then even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct, bring the way of truth into disrepute in their greed. These teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. So there are four things that I want you to catch here that are telltale signs of a false teacher. And first he says they're going to introduce these destructive heresies. You're going to introduce destructive heresies. Second, they'll eventually deny the sovereign Lord. So what that means is they will say, Jesus is Lord, but eventually they will deny that Jesus is Lord. They'll say there's some other way. There's something else. There's a bunch of additions into Christ. Third, they're motivated by greed. And fourth, they fabricate sensational stories. You know what sells are sensational stories? Do you know that recently most Christian book retailers have decided to ban near-death experiences? Because people come up with a fabricated story, and then given time, it's shown that that story is fabricated. And so they, though they sell lots of books by doing it, they finally banded together as Christian booksellers and said, we're no longer going to do that, even though it's a moneymaker for us, because it, it is against the integrity of what we're trying to do in the first place. And these fabricated stories keep bringing the way of truth into disrepute. So these are not unusual circumstances to Peter in his day. These are circumstances to us in our day. And when people are persecuted, people want to know that God will rescue them and that God will hold the persecutors who are persecuting them, that God will hold them accountable. And Peter uses some case history. So he goes through all these stories, and you're like, why did he just give us all these examples? Well, let me just tell you. He just says this. Listen, if God did not, and he gives a case history, spare the angels, he sent some of them to be held for the day of judgment. Others of them are now demons who roam the earth, but they too are accountable. When the demons met Jesus face to face, they often ran up to him and said, are you here to bring judgment on us? Are you here to torment us? Because they thought maybe today was the day that God will hold them accountable. But if God didn't spare angels who sinned, and if God destroyed the wicked people of the entire earth, except for Noah and seven others, when he destroyed the world with a flood... If God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and he rescued Lot's family from it, if God has done all these things, then God is able to do something else. So he gives case history to the people who would understand that, listen, I'm going to appeal to true events in the past to show that God will not be mocked. And the people who are being persecuted are going to go, Lord, I'm getting persecuted. When are you going to hold them accountable? When are you going to make that angry boss accountable? When, when are you going to make that relative who just is out to persecute me? When are you going to make that organization or that sip, sy symptom or the people in that system who come out of the woodwork to persecute me when I'm trying to do something right? God, are you going to hold them accountable? Well, 2 Peter 2, 9, Peter making his argument said, if God did this, if God did this, if God did this, then he says, if this is so, then... The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. So Peter argues that God knows two things. He knows how to do two things among the many things that God knows how to do. There are two that he knows, and one is this. He knows how to rescue the godly from trials. 
You're being persecuted. And you got, when are you going to rescue me, God? Do you even know how to rescue me? Yes, God knows how to rescue you. But I want to point out that even in Peter's situation, when, for the persecuted, sometimes that rescue happens after death. So Peter's going to be martyred. And it is then when he dies that he is able to be free from his trials. Once he's dead, does he have trials anymore? No. He's in the presence of God. Absent from the body, he's in the presence of the Lord. So Peter's trials ceased when he was martyred. But God knows how to rescue. Whether in this life or in the afterlife, don't be afraid. God knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And the day comes when you and I will deal with them no longer. Second, God knows how to hold the unrighteous for punishment. For the false teachers, the unbelievers, the persecutors, the punishment for them, too, is often after death. We always say, God, why don't you punish them right now? Why don't you stop them right now? And we want God to jump into our timing and stop what they're teaching, stop what they're saying, stop how they're deceiving people. And you're like, God, how can you like let that cult go on and on and on and deceive all these people? God, how can you let this false teaching go on and on and on and deceive all these people? Let me tell you something that God knows. God knows how to hold the unrighteous for punishment. And that punishment, just like the freedom for the believers often after death, God holds people. Nobody gets away. There's no jailbreak. There's no, you know, do not pass go, do not go to jail, do not collect $200. I mean, there's, there's none of that. There's no jailbreak. No one gets away with it. So often we're like, God, they just seem to get away with it. But the truth is nobody gets away with it. No one gets away. No one escapes God. The angels couldn't do it. The wicked world couldn't do it in the Old Testament. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, they couldn't get away. And in the same way, no one gets away with it. God will hold the unrighteous accountable for their persecution and for their ultimate denial of him. Well, notice the behaviors of those who follow the corrupt sin nature and they despise authority. And I want you to catch this because he makes this case. He says, they follow the sin nature, but they despise authority. And I want you to think in your own life, what are your feelings toward authorities in your life? We live in a culture that's taught to despise authority. Like, if you think about you right now, you're taught to educate your boss about how to do the job right. You're taught to make a way out for everything that you want to do. You're taught to despise government. You're taught to despise authority of all sorts. Uh, husbands and wives are, are taught to not mutually submit to one another, but to despise one another. We live in a culture that despises authority. And I want you to understand that because when you and I despise authority, then these conditions often follow. But for these false teachers, here's what they do. They heap abuse on celestial beings. You say, what in the world is that? Peter makes this case. He says, even angels, when they're being messengers of God's judgment against other celestial beings, whether they're demons or other beings, they don't get into smack talk with them. They basically just say, the Lord rebuke you. I'm bringing a message from the Lord. Even them, though they're right, though they're in a righteous thing, they choose not to keep abuse on them. They just basically bring the message from the Lord, the truthful message as messengers. That's what they do. They will battle, but they will not engage in disparaging talk. But these ones, they'll keep abuse on celestial beings. False teachers will carouse in broad daylight. They will seduce the unstable. They're experts in greed. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to sin. 
And 2 Peter 2, verse 20 says this, If they have escaped the corruption of the world, knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and again are entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed to them. And of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and the sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Now this is a very interesting passage and I want to tell you why. Because I've heard some people who profess to believe in Jesus Christ use this passage as a case against themselves for when they've backslidden. Like, I must not be saved because I fell away. I must not be saved because I've done wrong things. I've heard a suicidal person use the scriptures, this passage in the word of God, to basically say, listen, obviously the scriptures are saying, it would have been better off for me never to have known Christ than to have known him and then backslide like I have. God has abandoned me. God has forgotten me is what this person said. And they're trying to use the scriptures to enforce it. Isn't that what the evil one does? When Satan tempted Jesus, did he not abuse the scriptures and twist them to try to get his intended result? Well, I want to tell you that there's a difference here between somebody who's backslidden or even a teacher, let's say a pastor. I've got friends, even some better men than I am, who have fallen. They've made simple mistakes, and they have lost their position as a pastor, as a leader, and they've made a sinful error. And, and I want to tell you that this passage right here is not talking about those friends of mine. This is talking about something very different. And I want to point out what it is. This is not talking about a, a believer who backslides. It's not talking about you and me who we still have this tension between the flesh and the spirit. It's not talking about that. It's talking about something very different. So do these verses describe a believer who backslides? No. I want you to understand that. Number four in your outline. These verses describe a false teacher who has become apostate. You say, what in the world is apostate? So I decided to define it for you right there in your outline and make it easy. One, who has completely renounced the deity of Christ and denies the authority of Scripture. What does it mean to become apostate? It means that you're going to renounce that Christ is Lord and you're going to deny that the Scripture has any authority. Apostates are those who fall away from the true faith, abandoning what they formerly professed. It didn't mean they believed it, but they professed it. The term describes those whose beliefs are so deficient as to place them outside the pale of true Christianity. That their beliefs, they professed at first that they believed, but now their beliefs have gone off the reservation so far that they're not even in the realm of true Christianity. It would be like a liberal denomination that denies the authority of Scripture. They were founded on godly principles, but as the years went by, and as it became more and more liberal, they finally said, well, I don't know, we, we're not sure that Jesus is Lord. We're not sure that the Scriptures have inerrancy or, or that they have, you know, any authority. And so a denomination even can become apostate. It can wander away from the truth, and then all the acts of the flesh— all the things that look like the world begin to show up in that denomination. People go, but it's the church. And what happens? People look at people in a denomination maybe like that, and they say they bring the way of truth into disrepute. 
those who fall away into apostasy, not just those who backslide, but those who fall away into apostasy demonstrate that their faith was never real to begin with. But at first, they're going to look like you and me. They're going to be like a wolf in sheep's clothing. The apostle John wrote this in 1 John 2.19. He said, they went out from us. But they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And you need to watch. As you and I listen to teaching, as we surround ourselves with people who teach the word of God, as we begin to look at the scriptures ourselves and study it with our own eyes and not just a second-hand faith. But as we begin to do that, we need to look and say, are they beginning to wander from the authority of Scripture? Are they beginning to wander from the deity, the Godhood of Christ Jesus? So John's saying, they left. And isn't that what often happens? They start off maybe in the church, but then they wander off, and maybe they start their own, or they start something else. And he's saying, their going showed that they were not with us in the beginning. And in the New Testament, they had to deal with false teachers right away, just like in the Old Testament, that they had to deal with false prophets. And when in the Old Testament the people did not enforce God's rules for false prophets, which was, by the way, if they're false prophet, they prophesy and it doesn't come true, they were to kill them. But people got compassionate. And they said, oh, I don't know about that. And over time, many false prophets would arise because there was no, there was no punishment. And just like in the Old Testament, there were many false prophets. In the New Testament, there are many false teachers, even in our day. But my question is this. Should we, as believers in Christ, should we heap abuse on false teachers? Should we go online and troll false teachers? Should we go online and attack and spend all of our energy going after people who at once looked like us at one time but now are not like us? Should we spend all our energy going after them and telling the rest of the world while they're wrong and going after them and heaping abuse on them? No. Now, do we have an apologetic? Do we stand? Do we have a defense for the gospel? Yes, we stand in that. But we stay better on mission when we are teaching and acting out the truth more than attacking the counterfeit. And what I want to tell you is there are plenty of Christians today who think it's their personal mission to tell everybody else why they're wrong. And you know what you're doing? You're heaping abuse. You're bringing the way of truth into disrepute. You are not arguing anybody into the kingdom. There is nobody who's authentically listening in many ways to you any longer because you're just spouting what you know to be right to feel better about yourself as if you're doing God a favor. And God's like, don't worry about it. I know how to hold those who were wrong for future punishment. I don't need you to be my messenger of punishment now. I need you to love others, including those who persecute you. So what's the mission of the believer? It's to love it's to look like Jesus. It's to do what Jesus did. And don't, don't get me wrong, Jesus all the time, he would, he would attack the false beliefs that people were bringing that led other people astray. In fact, Jesus all the time, if you look at the New Testament, all the time Jesus would say this, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And some people would think that Jesus is saying like, hey, uh, you've heard it said, but I'm bringing a new teaching. No, no, what Jesus is doing is saying, you've heard something said, 
But that has been corrupted by people with their sinful desires. And so now I'm going to tell you something different. So Jesus would get people back to the heart of God. So for example, Matthew 5, 43. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And everyone there would be like, yeah, we've heard that. Yeah, okay, we've heard that. Jesus said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. What he does, he doesn't counter. He's saying, you've heard it said, and it was taken to this abuse. But I'm telling you, let me get you back to the heart of your Father in heaven. What's your Father in heaven like? Your Father in heaven is like one who loves those who are in enmity with him, who would sacrifice himself for the lost. That's the heart of the Father in heaven. And so I'm telling you to do that. And Jesus didn't just spout that off as a good idea. He practiced it from the cross. As people had nailed him to the cross, what does he say? As he's pushing himself up to breathe, he goes, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's praying to the Father from the cross where he is being persecuted to death. You've heard it said, but I tell you, and that's a good line. You and I need to take some teachings that we've thought or we've heard, maybe even some ideas we believed, and we might say, I have heard it said, but what does the scripture say? What does Jesus tell me? What did the, does the whole of scripture tell me? What does the defense of scripture and the apologetic of the entire corporate word of God tell me I need to know? Because if I know the original, I can identify counterfeit. And there's lots of things that I've heard it said. All sorts of things that I've heard it said. And I need to know what is different. And that's exactly what Peter is telling the people right here. Because of God's divine nature and because of the reliability of the scriptures, you have everything you need to identify a false teacher. You have everything you need to identify a fake teacher or teaching. A fake teacher or teaching. And sometimes they're very well-intended statements. I hear some very well-intended false statements in the church all the time. And in fact, they're kind of like the things that we put in our backpack, right? Like we've got these teachings that we've heard along the way, and we were like, that sounds really good. Like that, I'm not talking about just like self-help stuff. I'm just saying that there's certain things in there that just kind of sound good. And, and you know, you might get one that like is a well-intended statement. It might sound something like this, like, have you ever heard that someone would say, well, listen, God will not give you more than you can handle. Well, that's a well-intended statement, but you know what? It's completely wrong. God always gives us more than we can handle. Life gives us more than we can handle, amen? So we gotta, we gotta say, I gotta take that wrench out of my, out of my backpack. I gotta take that, that belief out and I gotta set it down because if I hear that, and I hear this well-intended statement that God will never give me more than I can handle. What happens when I get something more than I can handle? Maybe God has let me down. Maybe I don't have everything I need to live a godly life. I got to take a false belief like that out. I got to set it down and go, life will always hand me more than I can handle. But praise be to God, he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He will give me everything I need in every circumstance, in every situation to live a godly life. I gotta take it out of my backpack. I gotta get rid of that false teaching 
I'm not worried about some of you running after a cult. I'm not worried about some of you being so deceived that you just kind of run away after some crazy something. I'm far more worried that sometimes we pack things into our backpack that don't belong, and then we hold God accountable for some statement we heard that was never true in the first place. Let me give you another example. You might have heard along the way in your life, you might have heard a statement like this, that you wouldn't be sick or injured if you had more faith. And you go, I gotta take that, man. That thing's just like stabbing me. I gotta, I gotta take that out of my backpack. I gotta take that belief out and I gotta lay that thing down because it's hurting me. And there are people who are well-intended. They wanna have this high view of faith, a high view of theology. But what they do is they say, if that's the case, then the Christian stops becoming human. And the scriptures tell me that I am saved, I am redeemed, I am declared righteous, that by Jesus Christ and his death on the cross I'm saved, but I still have a body of flesh that I will live in my entire life that someday I will be freed from, and someday I will be rescued from, and someday I will be released from, but sometimes that body of death, that flesh, continues to make me mortal, and it's not an issue of faith. If you've got a health problem, if you've got an injury, sometimes in your desperation, you're looking. Is there a teaching out there that would just give me more faith so I could be free? Is there a teaching out there that I cling to so that my relative won't die? Is there something out there that will rescue me from this body of death? And the scriptures tell us that all along, Jesus is the one who rescues us from the body of death. And that our mortality is part of the process. But can you see how a false belief can become like a stab to the mortality of our body when we hear a well-intentioned statement made like that. I've heard a well-intentioned statement that you need to take out of your backpack. Gotta find it here. Here we go. And it's this idea that, that God cannot be in the presence of sin. People say that all the time, kind of flippantly. Well, God can't be in the presence of sin. Oh, really? Then how did God come down to earth where there was a whole lot of sin? How did Jesus, being God, come to earth, humble himself, and humble himself in the form of a human being, the God-man, the only one who ever existed, how did God dwell among us? How did God take our sins upon himself on the cross? Oh, well, God, since God can't be in the presence of sin, he would never, like, soil himself. No, that's exactly what he did. God became flesh to sacrifice himself for us, to save the people he loved on the earth. And there are times we got stuff in our backpack that honestly, we just, we've just got to get rid of it. We got to take it out. Because what happens is when you and I are persecuted and we're squeezed by life, what's on the inside of us begins to drip out. And some of us need to begin to let God's word drip in and take root and take heart. My heart for you is that you would daily read God's word. And I believe that if you just... If you would read God's word, not just read it, but actually do what it says, you would continue to change. You would transform for the better in your life. 
you will know the real deal and continue knowing it all throughout your life so that guess what? When you're squeezed and a false teacher or a false teaching comes along, when fabricated stories that wow you come along, you can discern, is that a fabricated story? Is that true within the whole counsel of scripture? And you will not be easily led astray. You also will know because of the whole counsel of scripture that if you've wandered away from the truth, if you have wandered away from following Christ and you've backslidden, you will know because of the whole counsel of scripture that you always run back to Jesus. That there is an accuser who will accuse you until you don't go back. But you will know in your heart, I am safe with a God who can get in my mess. A God who's willing to wade into my sin. A God who's willing to wade into how stuck I am. And he's willing to help me, though I'm wallowing in the mud, he's willing to help me like get out and clean up and change the inner core of my inner man, my inner woman, to be who he's called me to be. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, will you pray with me? Some of you in this room, maybe for the first time, you're realizing that Jesus is the answer you've been looking for. That you've wondered who will rescue me from myself, who will rescue me from this body of death, who will rescue me from my wallowing in the mud. And the answer is Jesus. He took your sin upon the cross and he paid for it in full. And if today you'd like to begin to have a relationship with Jesus, you'd like to ask him to save you from your sin, that you'd like to ask him to guarantee that you will go into heaven when you die, that he will rescue you from the trials of life, even if it means death. And today you want that, then you can pray right where you're seated. Just pray something like this after me. Just pray, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died for my sin, that you were buried, that you rose to new life because you're God. I ask you, would you wash me as white as snow? Give me your Holy Spirit. Make me a new creation on the inside because today I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.